Welcome to Hit the Bricks. Everything that's interesting. We'll take a drink. About Guthrie, Oklahoma. I'm ready. Our special guest today is Nathan Turner from the Oklahoma Territorial Museum. Hey, Nathan. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. Thanks. You know, we've had uh, Michael from the museum right. as a guest. Now you're here. Uh, at some point, Erin is going to have to come over and right. be a guest. Yeah, definitely. So, we'll make sure she does that. Okay, good. Good, good. Um, Nathan, uh, uh, there's been a, a lot of stuff in the news, the news, mm -hmm. uh, whatever that means, um, recently about uh, a fantastic book called uh, Boomtown that a guy named Sam Anderson wrote. And I just finished reading that. And a, a lot of that book, most of it had to do with the, the land run and how it related to Oklahoma City. Right. Uh, there was a little bit of stuff in there about Guthrie. Some pretty interesting things about the, kind of the rivalry mm -hmm. of Guthrie and Oklahoma City as they kind of postured for uh, who, who, whoever got to be capital right. of Oklahoma. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a little bit of Guthrie info, info in that book. And I highly recommend that book to anybody who's listening or watching. It's super entertaining. But when it comes to Guthrie's role in the land run, I thought it'd be fun for us to kind of talk about how you know what part Guthrie played okay. and all of that sure. stuff. Um, I think uh, to start with, um, a lot of times when we start talking about the land run, uh, we kind of like it, the conversation almost sounds like. Uh, up until that cannon blast or whatever it was, <laughs> right? No one had ever been here before, right? Yeah, and that's yeah, it's totally false, but yes, right? Yeah. So, kind of give us an idea of like before the land run, okay. what, what what was Oklahoma, and you know who was here? Okay. Um, well, of course, in in uh, we had the Native American removals into the the boundaries of Oklahoma, uh, starting in the 1830s and 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 continuing through uh, the 1870s. Um, but what you had for the land run was two million acres in the heart of what's now Oklahoma. Uh, basically from Orlando Road on the north to Purcell on the south and were bounded by Kingfisher and the town of Meridian or Indian Meridian where that mm -hmm. line was. Um, some change in that along the river but that, that's in general are what we're looking at. Um, and in 1865 um, 1866, uh, that land originally belonged to the Creek and Seminoles. That was taken away due to the effects of the Civil War and and and, and such. Um, and so it was left as unassigned from from that time period. And they call it unassigned because it was not assigned to a specific tribe. Mm. Um, and you know we've got this vision or this, this like you say this idea in our head that you know you know these settlers came in and the cannon blast and brought you know virgin ground that nobody had ever been here before and it's just patently false um, really the industry that used this this area was was a cattleman hmm. um, there were um, a number of, of different ranches in the area the land was used as essentially free grazing um, for for cattlemen uh, the land north of us in the um, Cherokee Outlet was leased uh, to cattlemen because of the grassland. Well, here you had two million acres of free grass. What a deal! What a deal! <laughs> you know, and and even even greater deal. Um, there was a push to bring another tribe in. Uh, they were going to bring in the Sioux um, at one point, and that 
bill to do that got killed by a representative from Kansas and a representative from Texas which interestingly enough the Texas cattlemen brought their cattle up to the unassigned lands, and they sold yeah. them in Kansas. So, uh, so, so uh, you've got you've got these things sense, that are right? going on. You've got this little intrigue, and you know <laughs> politics. We, we think politics. You know, today we watch it, and we're going, "Oh, these guys are nuts." Well, they were nuts in 1872. Oh, yeah. So, it, it uh, a lot of things haven't changed. But, um, in fact, prior to the land run happening, there were miles of fencing that the soldiers had to take out of this area um, up at. Um, um, Cowboy Flats up uh, north by uh, on the Cimarron River uh, there were cowboys moving cattle out of that area prior to to the land run occurring so you had that going on you also have um, in 1887 the Atchison Topeka Santa Fe Railroad was built um, through the unassigned lands well you had to have um, railroad stops. Guthrie is a prime example. That's why Guthrie was on the map. Um, about every 10 to 15 miles there would be a railroad stop. Yeah, I've seen and on maps like even places like Waterloo yes. was a city. Uh -huh. Yes. So yeah. you know if, if, uh, if you're not familiar with Guthrie just a few miles down the road mm -hmm. is uh, a, a road called Waterloo. Like it, originally it was an actual city with a railroad stop. Small, tiny Small. city. Yeah. Like, well all of them were at the mm -hmm. time but yeah it's interesting those uh, those railroad stops have kind of just disappeared over yeah, the course they, of a hundred years. They truly have, um, and and you know some of the towns that that we think of now, Moore, Norman, Purcell, those were all stops on the railroad. Well, you had to have people to man those railroads um, yeah. or those railroad stations. You had to have, you know. Uh, personnel in and around. Uh, there's There are a couple of interesting photographs, just there's a book um, written about Oklahoma City where it talks about there were 25,000 head of cattle shipped out of the railroad station in Oklahoma City prior to in 1888, a year prior to the land run. So we know that we have people in here and people that are, are moving around. Um, David Payne's Boomer Group mm. and Charles Carpenter and, and not the meteorologist, not the meteorologist, not the meteorologist. No. Um, you know, was a member of the Boomers um, or started the boom, the Boomer movement and to kind of drum up for opening of uh, the unassigned lands to settlement. So the Boomers that you're mentioning, mm -hmm. um, a lot of folks think of those folks as being, you know. When the cannon blast happened, they went and got land. But that boomers, it means boomer, something totally boomer different. Is, than is that. totally different. The term really originates from about 1850, um, and the idea then was: is if Justin's running for office and I'm supporting Justin, I'm going to walk through the streets, banging my drum, booming. <laughs> I mean, for it Justin. means it means you're annoying. You're, you're, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you're, it's probably very very annoying. Right. Um, but it but it's you're you're advocating. You're um, hmm. You're pushing for for something, and that's really where the term comes from. And it gets confusing because when you look at the the contemporary uh, newspaper writings, for instance, the newspaper would say the boomers crossed the line. So the term was used incorrectly, even even at that point. Um, so David Payne and his movement, that, that mm -hmm. boomer movement, right. Um, they wanted these unassigned lands. If I get terms wrong, no, you're fine. Mm -hmm. He wanted these unassigned lands opened up for settlement. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, 
was it just because they they wanted free land or was there like some other like, was there mo motives behind that or um, a couple of things. The it would have been under the Homestead Act of 1862, um, and what Payne and, and his movement looked at, they said, you know what, this is this is open land. It's not assigned to any Indian tribe under under the laws of the United States. We ought to be able to settle it under the Homestead Act. And so there was a big push there. It was also, you know, Payne and and the Boomers were. Um, very progressive. Um, they, in fact, in their newspaper, they um, advocated for women's suffrage in 18, oh, wow. yeah, yeah, 1880s time frame. So it's a very different political group. There were a lot of things going on at the time um, where, you know, farmers, um, you know, were against the railroad because the railroad would you know, charge them so much to ship their grain that they didn't make anything. And so uh, there, there was a lot of this political and uh, cultural turmoil that was going on, and we still see some of it today, quite frankly. Um, so, so that was part of the movement as a whole, um, to the point that David Payne, even when he would get arrested, the soldiers would take him out of the unassigned lands and drop him off in Kansas and then not charge him in federal court. And he kept bugging him, said, charge me, charge me. You have to charge me because he, he felt very strongly that if he got in front of a judge, he, he would have the case that, uh. you know, and, but you know, so nobody wanted to, nobody, you know, in power at that time really wanted to test it. So him crossing that line over into to Oklahoma was kind of like a protest yeah, a protest march of, of okay. sorts, and and even to the point where you know they would come in and set up, start building towns and and things, and then the soldiers would come and escort them out or push <laughs> them out. Um, interestingly enough, there there are some accounts where David Payne uh, came into the unassigned lands with a few head of cattle in front of him. The soldiers didn't bother him at all. <laughs> okay, and so so you had this. Um, um, you know, this battle or, or uh, fight between cattlemen and, and farmers, much like when you think of, you know, the Old West, you know, mm -hmm. in um, New Mexico, um, you know, get the sodbuster out kind of mentality. So you still had some of that thinking that was going on um, here, here in the unassigned lands. Um, but then what, of course, happened, one of the the big pushes of that, uh, there was a horrible blizzard in uh, 1887 and 1888, um, and it killed off, not not here, it was up up, uh, up in the Great Plains, uh, northern Great Plains, where and a lot of cattle were killed off. And so you had the railroad that came through in 1887, you had the cattle industry no longer as strong for ratcheting to keep this land theirs. So they were like, whatever. Our, ca like, our cattle yeah, are dead anyway. Our cattle are so, dead. We don't yeah. care anymore. The railroad, of course, is like, hey, open that to settlement so that we can start making <laughs> yeah. money. Which, you know, it's, it's capitalism. It's, it's what, it's what you know, we do. Um, and so that's when it really, the, the final push to, to have that uh, passed in 1889. Although there was legislation starting in 1879 to, to open it to, uh, to settlement. Uh, but it just kept getting getting quashed. So David Payne and the Boomers uh, 
ahead of 1889, they they had made their little you know soirees <laughs> into um, into Oklahoma, and in uh, in Anderson's Boomtown book, he tells a story about um, in Oklahoma City, uh, there were a number of folks who worked for a company called I think the the Semin or the Seminole Company mm-hmm. had nothing to do with the Seminole tribe. They were right. just a bunch of white dudes who thought it sounded cool to call themselves a Seminole Company, and so they, I think they, they volunteered to be U.S. Marshals huh. just so they could, you know, show up early yeah. and pretend to be like in charge of things. Yes. And as soon as the cannon blast happened, they were like, "Oh, never mind." But we're already here, so I, yeah. I think they, the way he describes it in Oklahoma City, the. The people, the I guess they were speculators. I think is what the uh-huh. official term sure. is. So the speculators for the Seminole Company pretty much gobbled up all of the land there in Oklahoma City. Right. And then when the, everybody else showed up to like kind of stake their claim there, mm-hmm. uh, the Seminole Company was like, "That'll be you know however much money dollars, to yeah." yeah sure. So the free land was no longer free land mm-hmm. down there. Um, well, that actually happened in Guthrie oh, really? as well. We, we have a story, um, it's a biography written on a man by the name of Roy Hoffman. And uh, his, his wife wrote this, this story about him, telling about his life. And he wound up being a, you know, an incredible man, wound up in Chandler, and he was a judge and, and so on. But she tells a story that when he was 20 years old, which you had to be 21 or head of household to get land in the land room. That's under the Homestead Act. Well, he's 20 years old and he's in Guthrie and it's right before the land run and he sees all these other people doing doing it so he puts for sale signs on like 10 or 12 lots in downtown Guthrie. Um, and he sold all but one of them and built the Guthrie Daily Leader building. Oh wow. So. You know, so I mean, those types of things no. were occurring, um, and you know, we and but now what 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 happened for a lot of those folks, especially U.S. Marshals and and things, they they were not able to keep their claim. Okay. The thought process was is look, you had an unfair advantage. You were a legal sooner. Legally, you needed to be here to keep peace and order, etc. But you had an unfair advantage from everybody else, and so therefore, you know, if you were the railroad station master, you couldn't walk out and claim the lot next to the next to the railroad station, kind of thing. Nice. Um, so we defined we defined the term boomer. Mm-hmm. So define the ter- term sooner. Sooner, um, we we oversimplify it, but we say those are the folks that got here a little sooner than everybody okay. else. <laughs> Um, you know, some people say, well, they were cheaters. Well, okay, yeah, probably. Um, you know, others, you know, opportunists. Um, others, you know, we believe um, that some of the Sooners may have been former Boomer uh, members, Boomer movement members. Let's say that 12 times fast. It's probably um, pretty easy to hide out in different nooks and crannies of the Southern Plains. Yeah, it, it wouldn't be that difficult to do. I mean, there's a, there's, you know, two million acres is a lot. I mean, it's a lot of ground to cover. Now, there were soldiers, you know, in here in the U.S. Marshal, you know, trying to keep the peace and keep Sooners out. Mm. But there, there's an account of uh, down at the, the southern border uh, at the river across from Purcell um, that 12 o'clock noon, you know, one of the soldiers, you know, they fired their pistols or something. And the account is, is he's, he's up on watching up from high and he can see all these people jump out of <laughs> out of bushes and whatever and off they go and they're running and they and they take take over um 
you know, then and but people knew where they wanted to be. Yeah. You know, if, if you were if you were serious about this land run and you had time, you'd probably come in here and go, oh, that's a good looking claim. I'm going to come here on that morning. Mm-hmm. It was um, it, a funny story in in the Boomtown book was uh, whoever was kind of in charge in the Oklahoma City area. Mm-hmm. I guess it was a U.S. marshal or a soldier, whoever. Uh, when the, when it, he looked at his watch, they said, you know, in 12 o'clock hit, it should have taken like a certain amount of time for people to get there. Right. And like his, his story is like, he turned around and people were just there. Yeah. He's like, where'd you come from? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there were a lot of, a lot of those instances of, no. of people doing. And but it, it wasn't like, you know, I think sometimes the, uh, the idea of the land run gets a little bit romanticized. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, what was that? There was the movie with Tom Cruise. Yeah. Nicole Kidman. Uh, yeah, far uh, and away. Far and away. Yeah. And it seems like this, like this jolly kind of like, they, they just kind of rode back, rode horseback and then nothing bad happened and they just showed mm-hmm. up and, state your claim but like it was kind of just anarchy right it, it was it was very chaotic um you know there for instance in in uh, oklahoma city there were competing town site hmm. um, companies and in in that day you know if if i had a town site company and i went to you and said okay justin you're you're a musician and this is going to be your shop and you put your mark that's where you want you pay me a little extra money to be sure you get that corner lot well, but then Bill over here has another competing town site. So you can imagine that chaos. Mm. And um, even when, you know, a couple of days after the run in Guthrie, um, one of the U.S. Marshals hooked up a horse to a, to a big log, and they went down the street and said, if you're in the way, you lost your claim, move. You know, because, because it hadn't been laid out properly. So you had, you had people that were just everywhere, you know, mm. in town. And then in in the country, um, on the 160-acre claims, the the idea was well, I'll backtrack. In 18 in the 1870s, survey crews uh, and came through and they laid out um, town or the uh, township and range and, and our our system. By de- by thought, you should have had a marker every half mile. So when we think about um, you know everything in in Oklahoma, we're in a grid, and and it's a mile apart. If you're from you know 23rd to 36th Street, that's a mile, mm-hmm. and from you know May to Penn is a mile. What whatever. Um, well, then you would have a a marker about every half mile because it's uh, 640 acres. It's 160 acres uh, for, for four quarters, and you got a quarter section. Um, so if you had a marker every half mile, it should have been pretty easy to find. Find out where you were in relationship to, to anybody else. Problem is, is they did this in the 1870s. And uh, one of the tools that they used was cedar posts um, that were marked. Well, you know, cedar is pretty, pretty good for burning and, and termites like it. And you've, you know, if you're running cattle out here, they're going to rub on something because there mm-hmm. weren't any trees. So you can imagine some of those were gone. We have stories about the cowboys that were up in, uh, up in the flats were taking the stone markers that they used and throwing them in the Cimarron. <laughs> Just because, you know, why not? Sure. What, you know, they're for 17-year-old boys. This yeah, they're is what bored. we do. This is what, yeah. They're bored. Yeah. You know, we've been watching cattle all day. Now we go have some fun and yeah, mess the with cowboys people. were basically kids. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We, we think of, 
you know, think of them, oh, they had to be, you know, 30, 40 years it old. It wasn't John Wayne. No, no. Yeah. Most of your cowboys were were young. Most of your soldiers were very young as well, wouldn't, you know, um, that we've found, um, you know, 15 to 18 years of age. I mean, they, they were they were young kids, or what we consider young kids. Um, and so there was a lot of, of issues and a lot of problems in, you know, finding land descriptions and, and, you know, we have one account we know of where a man went three miles in one direction and found a stake and then had to basically extrapolate from that where he was <laughs> as far as description of the land. So there was um, a story, uh, I'm going to keep referring to sure. Boomtown because I just, I just read it. Yeah. And so I'm obsessed with it. Um, but the the first mayor of Oklahoma City, he had done something similar when they when he arrived. Um, Couch was his last yes. name. Uh, when he arrived, he staked his claim on the outskirts of Oklahoma City. When it was one of those bigger, larger claims. Uh-huh. Um, but then when he, when he was elected mayor, he spent all of his time there in the city. So he just kind of like assumed he'd get back out to his claim one right. of these days. Mm-hmm. And when he finished with his mayor job, he went out there to his claim. And it, there were houses all over. Yeah. People were just kind of like, oh, nobody's using this. And yeah. uh, evidently, one of those folks wasn't too happy with the idea of, you know, vacating the premises. So they shot him. Yeah, shot and killed him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I, he, he shot him in the knee or, or the leg. But since there weren't, you know, a bunch of hospitals or medicine or doctors around, it didn't take him long to kick the bucket. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. And there were, you know, there were other cases of, of um, you know, people that would decide that they wanted your claim, they wanted your town lot or your 160 acres, and they would get together with their friends <laughs> and, you know, file a case against you and use their friends as witnesses that you were a sooner and so on, you know. So all those types of, of shenanigans happened. Um, and, and you know, we, I, you know, my, my brother-in-law is an attorney, and he said, you know, I wish people would spend as much time figuring out ways to do good than they do figuring out ways to do bad and, and, and game the system, et cetera. We had that same type of thing going on in 1889, 1890 that, that, we, that we do today. Yeah, it really was this wild time mm-hmm. of, uh, uh, every time I read things about you know that time period, I, all I think about is um, the TV show Deadwood. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just um, you know, this, uh, absence of like, government and um, absence of or it was rules, but mm-hmm. people were just you know breaking them every single which way they could think of. Right. Um, it was interesting that you know David Payne and the Boomers, uh, they went so I, I think they went so far as to like actually lay out a street grid mm-hmm. in Oklahoma City. Right. Where like they basically, you know, it's not the same street grid they have now. Well, um, the boomers, members of the boomer movement, had their own townsite, yeah, committee, oh. or townsite company, uh, to lay out in Oklahoma City. So yeah, yeah, they certainly did. And you know, one other thing too, as a member of the boomers, you would um, say that you know my earlier example, this is where I want my shop to be, or this is where I want my farm to be. Uh, when when this occurs, and so that was part of your membership fee to huh. to, to join to join the boomers. Um, so you know, yeah, those types of things certainly certainly were were common, very common occurrence. And then, you know, we know about Guthrie and we know about Oklahoma City, but I don't know much about what happened in Kingfisher. Hmm. I don't know how they did it in in um, Moore. I don't think was. Uh, 
war wasn't established as a city quite yet. Uh, took a while for that, but you know, in other small communities, how did they do it in Pleasant Valley? How did they do it in uh, Mulhall? How did they, you know, those are some of those um, questions from history that are um, maybe not lost to history, but just haven't yeah. been explored. So real quick, before we take a, a, a little break, mm -hmm. um, the the perimeters of what we're talking about. Right. Um, so the folks who are waiting along the edge to, you know, uh, pounce on their land mm -hmm. that they wanted to claim. So tell us again, like, where those people were, were waiting on the um, southeast and west borders. They, they were in a number of different different areas. The, you know, the vision that we have of the cannon going off and all the wagons taking off would have been mainly your northern border and uh, the western border. Um, many of those folks massed in Caldwell, Kansas and came across a Cherokee outlet with soldiers because they were in Native American land where they can't, they're not supposed to be, so they mm -hmm. had to come across with an escort and they lined them up on the northern edge and that's where you see, um, you know, the cannon and, and those types of things happening. It also happened uh, near what is now El Reno, uh, but where Fort Reno was because the 9th and 10th Cavalry was there, so you had people, people there. And then um, at Purcell, well, Purcell would be on the south side of the river, so mm -hmm. that would have been, been the, the southern border. You, we know we had soldiers there. Um, the eastern border, not so much, and, and various points in between. Um, you know, we always tell our, our school kids there weren't enough soldiers to hold hands around the whole, <laughs> you know, yeah, the whole two sure. million acres. And so um, there were a number of different trails that were already established. Uh, wagon roads and, and things um, and so there were people amassed along that. Um, There's a great chapter in Boomtown where he he walks from uh, I think w w what is Choctaw uh -huh. And so that was that was um, there's stories of people waiting there in, in yep. what become Choctaw. Mm -hmm. And so he walks from that point all the way to downtown Oklahoma City sure. and kind of just describes what that's like that that would be like. You know, what it's like in modern times now uh -huh. and what they might have thought as they were doing that, you know, 100 years ago. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, let's see. A couple, let's see. Last weekend we uh, were at Red Brick Nights, and so we were super fortunate to get a couple seconds with Tanner Fields, uh, one of the musicians from Red Brick Nights, Great. and he uh, uh, recorded a song for us there. So we're going to take a quick break. Uh, listen to Tanner um, play a fantastic song from the most recent Red Brick Nights. We'll be right back and talk a little bit more about the land run in Guthrie. Hey, my name is Tanner Fields. I'm going to play a, one of my original songs for you guys. It's called On the Line. If I lay it all on the line, will 
fantastic song that you played for us at Red Brick Nights. Uh, uh, the next Red Brick Nights is coming up June 1st, so mark that on your calendars to hang out in Guthrie that evening. Uh, lots of food, music, uh, good times, and we'll talk more about Red Brick Nights uh, probably next week um, on Hit the Bricks. We're back. Nathan Turner, thanks again yes. for being here. This is you fun. Bet. Oh, yeah. Um, Always. To totally nerd out on uh, <laughs> land run stuff. Yeah. Um, one of the cool things that uh, I uh, stumbled onto a while back was um, the OU library has this archive of WPA interviews. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's so many of them. Mm-hmm. And it talks about all kinds of They just interviewed whoever. Yeah. 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 It, it's the um, it's a Western History Collection, and, and it's the WPA project. 
I'm drawing a blank on on yeah. specifically what it was called, but yeah, and and they did it statewide, and actually did it nationally. So you have you have all these stories from people. Um, and it was just it was what's cool about it is they were interviewing people that if they hadn't have interviewed them, these first person accounts mm-hmm. would have been lost to oh, history. Yeah, definitely, yeah, because yeah, they did it in the 1930s, mm-hmm. um, and so. You know, these were folks that you know they were interviewing people who probably made the land run, or yeah. whose families made the land run, and and you know who who knew about the you know Bill Doolin and and you know right. contemporaries of all these you know these outlaws that we think about and and all the stories that happened uh, at that time. Yeah, one of the uh, the coolest stories that I've found in there was. Uh, the hardware store owner here in Guthrie mm-hmm. was interviewed, um, and one of the buildings is named at Farquharson. Far- Far- mm-hmm. And so the, uh, the interviewer is talking to him, and he's just describing what it was like to have the hardware store here. And it got so busy, he did so much business that he had to. Um, he hired a young man to be like the, the night shift person at the oh, wow. hardware store so, so when a train would come into town uh-huh. in the middle of the night yeah he was ready to sell them shovels and uh gunpowder whatever, whatever they needed they, needed. they mm-hmm. could buy it at three in the morning at yeah. the hardware store in downtown guthrie oh, that's crazy and um he talks about uh or he talked about how um you know he had the hardware store in guthrie that was well established and uh when uh when uh what's north of us perry uh-huh. Yes, when Perry, Perry. was starting mm-hmm. to, you know, uh, uh, become a, a place, right? Uh, he decided he was going to put he put the young man in charge of the shop here in Guthrie, and Mr. Farquharson uh, went up to Perry, and he tells this great story about how his hardware tent mm-hmm. that he had there uh, was right next to the uh, the tavern tent. Oh, nice. So they were just getting hammered every night next door to him. Mm-hmm. And he got it got so bad in terms of people shooting each other in the yep. middle of the night that he started sleeping behind his uh, cast iron stove <laughs> as kind of like a, a bulletproof vest yeah, to, to protect himself yeah, a little bit. He would sleep behind the stove, and he would. I, I think he even talked about how he put all the. He would sell um, uh, ammunition mm-hmm. too, so he would put the ammunition with him behind the stove, so no one could like shoot into like his you know stack of bullets and things. Yeah. Oh wow! <clears throat> yeah, I thought that yeah, was that's hilarious. and you know the the fun thing about that is that you know those that are listening, anybody can go access that. Yeah, you, know, you yeah. go to Western History Collection and, and look at the WPA um, stuff and and just double click and you'll read this type, typewritten story. You know that that's there and it's it's incredible to have. Yeah, I think if I remember right, there were some there's some stories in there that talk about. Um, what we refer to now as the the elbow, oh okay, area, yeah. mm-hmm. and um, the elbow, if I if I remember right, the uh, this is an area on the the western side of Guthrie, and it kind of became a a, a place when um, uh, the different lots were being claimed, uh, and if I remember right, the story right. A, a certain person had claimed all, like most of those lots over there, and there were a lot of folks and down who were camping out down by the railroad track. And most of those folks, I think, um, were African American mm-hmm. fo- folks who were on their way to the, the Langston Township, okay. and basically just hadn't gotten there yet. And but uh, the story I remember reading was 
um, at some point, like when, and I think in the evening time, the judge pronounced that whoever had all those lots, for some reason, didn't have legal authority to have those lots. Okay. So they, all of a sudden, they became available again. So all these folks who were camping out down by the railroad tracks basically just jumped across the Cottonwood Creek and formed a neighborhood. Uh-huh. And so traditionally, that neighborhood became the, an African-American neighborhood right. in, in Guthrie. Mm-hmm. And uh, today, uh, there are still some uh, basically just ruins of homes yeah. uh, over there. Uh, I think because of the uh, continuing continuing floods that happened for years and years. Right. Yeah. That's, uh, that's essentially the federal government started buying out mm. folks that lived there in the mid '70s through the yeah. '80s, um, and. Uh, you know, there were, there were some bitter disputes about some of that, as, oh, sure. as you, you know you can imagine. Um, but uh, it, it's a floodplain, mm-hmm. and it, as we all know, well, gosh, what just a couple of weeks ago, it, it flooded like crazy, you right. know, on the right. on the river, and and um, it's just something that the you know Guthrie's always had to deal with. But yeah, it it was a predominantly African American. I wouldn't say predominantly; it was, sure. um, and and in through the you know, 60s and 70s. I, I know that um, the former police chief uh, for the city of Guthrie, um, Leroy Sears, and the well, the sheriff of Logan County, and I, I forget his name. He happened to be an African American man, but they had a deal that he, you know, if there was an issue, they would the sheriff would go over there and, and handle it. Huh. In in that area, it was that divided. And of course, this was in a time of obviously extreme racial divide and, sure. and Jim Crow laws and, and those types of things. Um, so, you know, I actually had the opportunity, gosh, what's it, it's probably been 15 years ago, uh, myself and a couple other staff members from the museum actually went over and photographed it. Hmm. Um, and at the time, um, it was very obvious where the streets were. You know, there were fire plugs. There were still yeah. some homes that were standing. Most of them were were ruined, um, fallen down, dilapidated. Um, but it was a little eerie. It's yeah. like you know, life after people kind of thing. You know, where right. nature's taking over and and so on. But um, I hiked out there with uh, some friends a few years ago. Uh-huh. Not that we're advocating. Yeah, don't go there. Hiking out into this area. <laughs> this is like yes, we're not saying this is the yeah. smart thing to do. Just saying that it's been done. It's been done. Uh, That's right. And there, the the ruins of like you know, there's a an uh, a, an old church uh-huh. that's kind of mm-hmm. most of it's burned down, but right. there are still some remnants of uh, of homes that uh, uh, not maybe just a couple now, I think. And there's an old city park yeah. out there yep. in the, with the pavilion mm-hmm. and restrooms and the, the backstop it, of the it, South yeah, the old Ball backstop Field and, and stuff. Like, I seem to recall there was a swing set, you know, just the bones of the swing set, yeah. but uh, still out there, yeah. But you it's, can talk to lots of people who live in Guthrie now that have tons of memories from like, oh, their yeah, childhood definitely. out there. Like mm-hmm. they, uh, I think uh, Chris Jared was telling me that he, like, they used to take their, uh, their their baseball photos out there every year okay. for yep. whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, super interesting kind of piece of uh, Guthrie's uh, Guthrie's history. Um, before we go, maybe just t- talk about a little how after the land run, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> why Guthrie in terms of the 
it becoming the capital of Oklahoma. How did it how did it get there ahead of Oklahoma City? Ahead of Oklahoma City, it was no. really um, it was designated to be the territorial capital, um, and part of that you know, was political. Um, Guthrie had had really become just the buzzword. And for, for whatever reason, it had become the place people wanted to be and, and go. Um, so somebody in Washington liked this. Or, or liked somebody. Somebody. You somebody know, there, there, there was yeah. somebody. Somebody was a friend of somebody yeah. somewhere. Um, and, you know, part, part of, and, and initially we didn't know this was going to happen, but um, Guthrie at the time was largely a Republican city. And some would argue that it is, it is today. Oklahoma City at the time lean more Democrat. Now those parties are different now than what we have today, but, sure. but anyway. Um, and so when you had your territorial governors, all but one were, were Republican. Um, although one of the first bills in the territorial legislature in 1890 was to move the capital from Guthrie to Oklahoma City. So this has been a, a or had been a political fight for, for yeah. a very long time. And, you know, Guthrie certainly took advantage of that as a community. Um, but the other thing that Oklahoma City did is they, they grew. You know, Guthrie mm. was, you know, said born 10,000 people by, you know, evening of April 22nd, 1889. And we're what, 14 today? Right. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, and Oklahoma City's, you know, X million. Um, and at, you know, Oklahoma City had picked up uh, more industry. They picked up more railroad lines, which had built their city mm -hmm. much larger than, than what Guthrie had become. Um, but yeah, it was just the the town that people wanted to be at. It was it was the um, you know the, the favorite child of of someone. Um, you know, bring bring people into into here. There's uh, another story in, in the Boomtown book where uh, he talks about how, like, leading up to the, that final vote uh -huh. that officially made Oklahoma City the capital, right. um, it, it kind of came down to the, the, the rival newspapers and that the, the, the Daily Oklahoman, which was, or I think it was, it was still already called that, but owned by uh, E.K. Gaylord. Right. Um, he he basically ran a better propaganda campaign than the the Guthrie paper owner, mm -hmm. and he talked about how um, uh, the newspaper owner there in Oklahoma City basically disseminated this propaganda all over the state about why Oklahoma City should be the capital. Okay, and a lot of the things that he was saying about you know the reasons why were absolute lies. It just made stuff <laughs> yeah. up. Yeah, but he he never put any of it in the actual paper. And so, according to Sam Anderson in his book, um, the the Guthrie uh, paper owner, since he didn't see this stuff occurring in the in the newspaper, mm -hmm. he just assumed that they were kind of fighting on a level playing field. But all the while, uh, the Oklahoma the Daily Oklahoman owner was sharing all this propaganda all over the state, okay. and built up uh, you know a kind of a groundswell mm -hmm. of people across Oklahoma who thought Oklahoma City should be the capital, and. Um, hmm. And, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to read that book. Yeah, <laughs> supposedly sw swayed public opinion right. via his kind of a, you know mm -hmm. uh, underground propaganda campaign. I um, you know I that would not surprise me. Um, I know that uh, Eddie Gaylord and Frank Greer were not friends. Mm, um, yeah. There there's a story about um, 
just Frank Greer being the Frank the, Greer being the, the owner of the uh, the state capital newspaper. Here in Guthrie, um, yeah. And uh, E. K. Gaylord sent people up to to watch the press room because he didn't believe that Greer had as big a readership as he claimed. <laughs> well, of course, you know your ad rates are based on your on your readership, right. and and so Gaylord really didn't think that he did and accused him of all these nefarious things. And so yeah, they were. It wouldn't surprise me to to see that type of rivalry. And again, Frank Greer was a Republican and Gaylord was was Democrat. So right. uh-huh. you know in that day and time, if you were a Republican, you'd buy the state daily state capital newspaper. If you were a Republican, you'd buy the leader or excuse me I, I switched that if you're a Republican <laughs> you'd buy the, the capital if you were Democrat you would buy the leader or you know the daily Oklahoma or what have you it's where you know we we do it today it's you know CNN or Fox you know people people watch sure. where, where where they are and read what they what they want to read um, so that would not surprise me at all the other thing though that I think that um, you know with Oklahoma City the population just of Oklahoma City was so much larger and then Shawnee was thrown into the mix as well so there are actually three cities that vied for the capital Um, and you don't know why Shawnee I mean you know it's just it's one of those one of those those questions that we have but you know Guthrie fought it the the community fought um, fought that um, took it all the way to United States Supreme Court um, and the Supreme Court basically said that, you know, Oklahoma's a sovereign state. She wants to move her capital early. She can. And, you know, we, we get into the whole, you know, the seal was stolen. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. You know, dun, dun. it's horrible. Um, and, and in fact, the Enabling Act that allowed Oklahoma to become a state said that Guthrie would be the capital for, for six years after statehood. And then Oklahomans could vote on the permanent placement mm-hmm. of their capital, which is why you know, we didn't build big legislative offices. You know, Guthrie built the uh, the convention hall, where which is now attached to the Masonic Temple, uh, but that was done with community dollars. That was not done with state dollars. And the uh, idea from the Guthrie leaders was, look, we already have this beautiful building. There's no reason to, you know, move to Oklahoma City. We've already got, you know, so on and so forth. And it's why that, you know, the state capital we have wasn't what was it, 1917 when it was completed, so mm-hmm. 10 years after statehood. Um, so when they had the vote in 1910, they moved it that, that very night, on a Saturday night. Um, and people think about well, what is the seal? Well, if, if, you, if you've ever been to a notary public, to have anything notarized, a title, anything at the bank, and that little press seal, uh-huh. that's what the seal looked like. Now okay. it was it was, yeah. it was larger. It was probably about the size of a two-liter bottle of Coke, um, but that's all the seal was. So something they would stamp. You on would stamp for official, for, for official documents, right? Yeah. So just the removal of this piece of office equipment, <laughs> right. you know, from one building to another, did not you know move the capital. Right. It was the actual vote. It wasn't some magical. Yeah, it, was, you know, it wasn't a magic you know <laughs> magical thing. Um, and, and the skull. Yeah, of, right. You know, yeah, the, the crystal leader. skull yeah. or something along those lines. Yeah, no, it was it was just a, a piece of office equipment. And we have actually a territorial seal uh, at the at the museum. Um, and you know again it's 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 larger than than. Uh, than the state seal they alleged um, they have in, I think it's in Oklahoma City now, they think is the one. But 
you know you had yeah. more than one because every office would need one to sure, make an sense. official official document and such so so everything that we've talked about mostly um if if folks are interested in these kind of things they can come to the museum oh, yeah. the territory museum mm-hmm. right um your, your days and hours are what we're tuesday through saturday from nine until five cool and uh, and there's permanent exhibits on on display people can look at there's also your uh the current uh temporary exhibit is is it still the um women's suffrage is it still, yeah, up? still okay. over women's suffrage yeah. and uh political allegory of the wizard of oz yeah really cool stuff yeah, it's good stuff and then we also have an outdoor exhibit space uh, that we rotate throughout the year. Right now, we have uh, African American experience in Oklahoma Territory, that's up and, and chronicles some of those stories that have not been told before. So, that's yeah. awesome. So stop by the Territorial Museum here in Guthrie. Also, if you get a chance to go online, check out the um, uh, that archive of interviews there yes. at the OU Library mm-hmm. about uh, the, from the WPA era uh, right. interviews. Those are things that are just super fascinating. You can. You can literally spend days just Definitely. reading through that. Some, yeah. some of it's incredibly exciting. Some of it is the most boring stuff you'll ever read. Cause they interviewed just whoever, but it was it's it's pretty yeah. cool. So um, Nathan, thanks again for coming by today. You're welcome. It's been thanks a good for time. Me. Yeah, and we'll see everybody next week on Hit the Bricks. Coming home.